This episode was made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. For more information, please visit patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. I strive to make this podcast a safe and inclusive place for my listeners. If I've missed any content warnings, please let me know. Content warnings for this episode include strong language, mature themes, allusions to group sex, male-female sex, barely legal teenage sex, erotic transformations, corruption and mind alteration, and problematic consent due to the use of magic. You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 243. Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I'm your host, Chris Lester. You can learn more about me and my work at chrislester.org and metamorecity.com. Each week, I share a piece of my fiction with you, available in audio for the first time anywhere. I'll also tell you the latest in my journey as a writing professional. So let's kick things off with this week's story. Today I'm bringing you Chapter 16 of my Metamore City erotic fantasy, Homecoming. If you're new to the show, go back to Episode 228 to hear this story from the beginning. The following recap will contain spoilers. Kate and John's week-long holiday with her parents has turned out to be much more exciting than they had intended. On their first night in the town of Bridger Heights, Kate accidentally stole a large piece of John's essence, which has temporarily transformed her into a succubus. This unexpected change came with some very enjoyable side effects such as the ability to use essence to gauge people's openness to sexual activity, to nudge aside their hang-ups and inhibitions, and to feed on their life mana. Within hours after her transformation, Kate seduced her tailor Henri, a man she'd had a crush on since she was a teenager. Kate finds her new powers deliriously pleasurable, but she's been trying to follow John's example and to use them as ethically as she can. Meanwhile, Kate and John have been helping Kate's stepfather with a small-town mystery. One of Sam's students, the Skyball captain, Chase Tomley, has been suffering from a strange illness since last spring. Sam was worried that Chase might be under a curse, but as soon as John saw the young man, he knew what the problem was. Chase is an incubus who hasn't completed his metamorphosis. Chase isn't having sex and his Daedra half needs to have sex in order to finish changing. If he doesn't feed it the life mana it needs, he could inadvertently starve himself to death. At the same time they met Chase, Kate and John also met Emily Bell, a college junior and Chase's best friend. Emily is sexually adventurous and sparkles with life mana, and from the moment they met her, Kate and John wanted to play with her. Emily invited them to a house party that Chase was also attending. While there, Kate told Emily the truth about herself and John, and what sex between the three of them would entail. Meanwhile, John had a talk with Chase, who admitted that he didn't even like these sorts of parties. He only came to them for Emily, who, according to Chase, has a history of making bad decisions at events like this. Soon thereafter, though, Chase was approached by another Skyball player, 
Janet Vickers, a tall, beautiful Arambian woman, whose team just faced off against Chase's at the homecoming game. Janet's interest in Chase was obvious, and Chase just as obviously reciprocated, but he was too awkward to act on it until John gave him a pep talk. At John's encouragement, Chase ventured out on the dance floor, and soon he and Janet were dancing together. Moments later, Kate and Emily retrieved John. Emily had given her enthusiastic consent to Kate's offer of a threesome, so the three of them withdrew to one of the upstairs bedrooms together. Emily stunned and delighted John with her open and adventurous spirit, and both he and Kate used their essence extensively during the sex that followed, driving all three of them to the heights of passion. When they began feeding on Emily's life mana, they found more power flowing into them from all over the house. Apparently, a lot of other people were also having sex, and John and Kate were able to draw on their life mana as a result. The two ate their fill, then settled in to cuddle with Emily and enjoy the afterglow. Just then, though, two terrified screams echoed through the house. There's some kind of trouble downstairs. Kate grabbed her casting dagger, clothed herself with an illusion of her policewoman's uniform, and told Emily to stay put inside the room. Then she ran for the stairs. Homecoming, A Tale of Metamore City, written and read by Chris Lester. Chapter 16, Wednesday, November 22nd. John had no idea what was going on, but he didn't like the idea of Kate running into possible danger without backup. He shapeshifted back into his human form, pulled on his pants as quickly as possible, and went out after her. From the top of the staircase, John could see the front door hanging open, bouncing softly against the side of the house in the autumn wind. The windows above the door granted a view of the driveway beyond, and he saw two people running away from the house at a dead sprint. They scrambled into a ground car near the far end of the lot, started it, and tore away from the place with a roar from the engine and a spray of gravel. John squinted, trying to see what kind of car it was, but the mood lighting in the house interfered with his dark vision, making it hard to see any details. At the same time he was watching this hasty escape, John's other senses took note of conditions in the house itself. The sound of moans and cries of pleasure, the thud, thud, thud of vibrations in the floor, as bodies thrusted and bucked against one another, the heady smells of musk, sweat, and sexual fluids, and over it all, like a perfume lingering on the air, the smoky traces of Suspira's essence. Oh, hells, John murmured, as a dreadful suspicion began to take hold. He carefully descended the steps, which were half-clogged with bodies writhing and moaning in passion. Tangled groups of men and women, mostly naked, kissed and groped and sucked at whatever body parts were within reach, seemingly without regard to the identities of their owners. If any of them had noticed the draft from the open door, no one cared enough to interrupt their pleasure to deal with it. John pulled the door shut and locked it. The last thing they needed was anyone else walking in on this. The orgy continued in the sitting room, 
a nearly unbroken carpet of rutting bodies. John saw people in every sexual position he had ever employed, and a few of the most flexible and athletic guests were trying things he had never seen before, which was saying something. Some of the more creative arrangements involved five, six, or more partners at once. His inner wise-ass wondered if any of the students involved were majoring in architecture. He told that voice to shut up and focus. Kate stood at the edge of the dining room cum dance floor, her casting dagger in her hand. A cloud made of shadows and red smoke filled the room, swirling like a slow-motion whirlwind. John could see the outlines of bodies in that darkness, spread out all across the floor, but the haze obscured any further details, even for his dark vision. Kate looked back over her shoulder at him as he approached, her expression torn. I... I'm not sure what I'm looking at, she admitted, and I try not to walk into an active working if I don't know what it does. John grimaced as he stepped up to the edge of the vortex. He raised a hand, brushed his fingertips against the wall of clouds. A surge of unseen power pulled on him, tugging on the essence in his core, inviting it to come out and play. He broke off the contact with an effort of will. It's a lust storm, he said grimly, an uncontrolled manifestation of Suspira's essence. You remember that little accident you had downtown where you started affecting everyone around you? Think of that only about a thousand times stronger. Kate looked back at the vortex, uncertainty etched on her face. So that's the same stuff that's inside us? Yeah, only it's not under anyone's conscious control. You, me, we've got willpower to direct it, tell it where to go, when to feed. This is just pure lust acting on instinct, a goddess's hunger but no brains. He swept a hand behind him, encompassing the house. It's driving these people crazy with desire and feeding on the results. Kate glanced back at the orgy for a moment, then looked away, her cheeks flushing. How did this happen? Did we do this? Not exactly, John said slowly. It's tethered to someone else in there, someone who can't control their power. Chase, Kate said. John passed a hand over his face. He soaked up enough energy to manifest, and he lost control of it. But, fuck. Yeah, I think maybe we primed the pump. He thought of the waves of essence that had radiated out from himself and Kate during their time with Emily, in a bedroom that was directly above the dining room. You idiot, he told himself. You weren't thinking three-dimensionally. A goddess isn't stopped by floors and ceilings. Kate looked sick. What do we do? Can we take it back? Reabsorb it? We can try, John said dubiously. But it's big and well-fed, and it's doing what it wants to do, making people fuck. It's going to fight us. He paused, then admitted, I've never actually done this before. I've only seen a lust storm once, and Mistress Jasmine handled it. I'm not sure I can. Kate looked at him, her expression sober. You think it's like trying to take the essence back from me? He nodded. This was embarrassing as hell, 
but pride had no place here. I'm willing to give it my best shot, but I might not be able to hold on to it. Worse, it might rip the rest of my essence out of me. Which would kill you, Kate said softly. John tried for a smile, but even he could tell it came off sort of sickly. Yeah. Kate's eyes went distant for a moment, as if she were running calculations in her head. Then her focus snapped back to John, and she nodded, her jaw set. Right. Get behind me. John felt a surge of fear for Kate's safety. Kate, it's the only play, she said, cutting him off. If I lose, I can survive without the essence. You can't. Just tell me what to do. John took a deep breath, let it out, then nodded. All right. You're going to need to open your aura, make contact with it. It's going to touch the essence inside you, try to pull it out. You need to... pull harder. He gestured vaguely, feeling useless. Sorry. Like I said, I've never done this. Kate put a hand on his shoulder, squeezed it. Maybe not, she said, but I have. She let her illusions fall away, revealing herself in her full, stolen succubus glory. John gazed at her with frank admiration, and she smiled, leaned in, and kissed him. For luck, she whispered. Then she turned, squared her shoulders, and walked into the vortex. There was a long, dreadful pause, in which John could see nothing but the swirling clouds and shadows, could hear nothing but the grunts and cries of the people around him. Then the vortex began to shrink, contracting in from the edges of the dance floor. Bodies were revealed as the clouds withdrew, lying naked in pairs and clusters, their bodies covered with sweat and semen. The lust storm had fed on these people first and most strongly, drawing off a sizable chunk of their life force. John hurried to check their pulses and breathing. Thanks, Aspira, everyone seemed to be all right. It took nearly two minutes before the last of the vortex disappeared, revealing Kate at the center of the room. She stood with her arms outstretched, her aura shining cherry red instead of its usual blue-green her eyes glowing as brightly as a blast furnace. She threw back her head in an exultant expression, letting out an orgasmic cry. And as John watched in awe, two bat-like wings sprouted from between her shoulder blades and spread wide behind her. Her horns grew longer as well, spiraling back and around the sides of her head like a ram's horns, or like John's own horns when he chose to reveal them. Her cock, already impressive before, grew at least another ten centimeters, and stood so erect that John thought it must be painful. She reached up and grabbed hold of her breasts, and they swelled under her touch, gaining at least three cup sizes in a matter of seconds. "'Goddess,' John whispered. He tore his eyes away from Kate and looked at the two young people at her feet." Janet Vickers was on all fours and completely naked, her dark skin dripping with sweat, her face a mask of delirious ecstasy. Behind her knelt Chase, still thrusting into her like a man possessed. His face was screwed up, his mouth wide as he panted with exertion, 
but whether he was consumed by pleasure or pain, John could not be sure. The young man's skin had turned as red as Kate's or John's, and he had sprouted horns about as long as Kate's had been when she'd first changed. His tail lashed wildly behind him, beyond his conscious control. Chase! John knelt beside him and shook him roughly by the shoulder. Chase, snap out of it, man! Slowly, Chase and Janet stopped moving against each other. Both of them were panting hard, and with the lust storm absorbed into Kate, the maddening effects of Suspira's essence were wearing off. Chase turned his head slightly in John's direction. His eyes tried to focus on him, then slipped back into the middle distance. He swayed like a drunken man, even though he was already on his knees. John, he said, in the tone of a man half asleep. What... what happened? Janet's arms gave way then, and she fell forward, disengaging from Chase in the process. She landed with her forehead against the dance floor, slowly enough, fortunately, that John didn't think she was at any risk of a concussion, and then tipped over onto her side and lay still. Chase sat back on his heels with a whuff of expelled breath, his hands falling limply at his sides. John scrambled over to Janet on hands and knees and checked her over, wishing like hell that he could borrow Morgan's medical expertise. He checked Janet's pulse, which was detectable but thready, and her breathing, which seemed shallow and much too fast. He patted her face and spoke her name, but she did not respond. Her eyes were half open and fluttering, her pupils rolling back in her head. Shit! Kate, we need help here! Kate did not respond. John looked up at her. She was watching the orgy in the sitting room like a cat watches a canary, right down to the small, twitching motions in the tip of her tail. Her new wings stretched out behind her, flexing and contracting in slow, unconscious movements. She fondled one of her oversized breasts with her left hand, while the right hand stroked up and down the length of her massive cock. Kate! John snapped. God damn it, this girl is dying! Get your head out of your ass and help me! Kate shuddered, then tore her hands away from her erogenous zones with a gasp. Fucking hell! she hissed. She squeezed her eyes shut and grimaced with exertion. After a few heart-pounding seconds, her aura closed itself off, and both the shadows and the cherry-red light around her dispersed. When she opened her eyes again, they were still amber, but no longer glowing. All right, she said, taking a slow breath in and out. All right, I'm here. She knelt beside Janet's back, across from John, her wings folding behind her as she did so. She needs life mana, right? He took too much? Yeah, John said, his voice coming out hoarse. Damn it, this was not what I had in mind when I pointed Chase in her direction. Can you do that? Give some back to her? Easy, Kate said. She placed her right hand on Janet's solar plexus, her finger claws resting lightly against the younger woman's flesh. I did this for Hal Rains when he was carrying that rift spirit, and right now I have a lot more mana to give. She closed her eyes again, and the light of her aura appeared around her hand. It was still red, 
still infused with Suspira's nature and influence. But life mana was life mana, and Kate was still a wizard, regardless of whatever else the goddess's power had turned her into. John sensed the mana flowing back into Janet, filling her mystic center, and from there distributing itself to the rest of her body. Holding onto her wrist, he felt her pulse grow strong and steady again. Her eyelids stopped fluttering, and her chest began to rise and fall in the slow, even breathing of deep sleep. John and Kate carefully rolled her onto her back, stretching out her arms and legs so she wouldn't get any cramps. Kate retrieved a throw pillow from the sitting room and stuck it under Janet's head. She should be okay now, Kate said. But shit, John, she just had unprotected sex with an incubus. She needs emergency contraception. The hospital will take care of that, John assured her. Whoever it was that just tore out of here, I'm betting they called ES. Contraception's a standard precaution for a situation like this. He frowned over at Chase, who was sitting cross-legged on the floor, staring at his claws and tail with a dazed expression on his face. We need to get out of here, and we need to take him with us. Kate followed John's gaze, her expression turning worried as she looked at the kid. I'll get Emily. You take care of Chase. She started toward the sitting room, then hesitated. The orgy was slowing down a little, the frantic sucking and fucking transitioning to more relaxed forms of pleasure, but most of the participants still seemed oblivious to Kate, John, or anything else around them. Um, how long is it going to take for that to wear off? A few more minutes at least, John said, but move fast. We don't want to be here when they come to their senses. Kate swallowed visibly. Right. Going. She ran for the stairs, taking the less obstructed long way around the back of the house. John stood and went over to Chase, tapping him on the shoulder. Hey man, we need to get moving. Chase shook himself, then looked up at John with a lost expression. His eyes, now turned as amber as John's, were spilling tears down his brick-red cheeks. John, he said, his voice rough and full of pain. I screwed up, John. I had sex with Janet, and... He sobbed, reached down and shook his tail with obvious grief and anger. I'm cursed. Eli cursed me. I promised him I would save myself for marriage, and I broke my promise, and he cursed me. John winced. Damn it, he thought, as an avalanche of puzzle pieces belatedly fell into place. God's fucking damn it, of course. I should have known. The kid was obviously a rebuilder. Probably not one of those Redeemer extremists, but definitely not from one of the mainline denominations either. There were almost as many variants of rebuilder theology as there were adherents, but the most vocal and aggressive of these groups shared a few traits in common. An evangelistic fervor, an obsession with religious and sexual purity, and a neurotic fear of an outside world that was, to their minds, utterly consumed by demonic corruption and depravity. No wonder Chase was the good boy who didn't drink. No wonder he was so worried about Emily's partying and her free and open approach to her sexuality. He literally thought she was walking down the road to hell. 
not the nine-layered afterlife built by the old gods, but the real hell, the one with fire and brimstone and eternal torment for those who disobeyed Eli's teachings. John highly doubted that such a place even existed, but the rebuilders believed in it, and from what John could tell, it was their terror of going there that kept them from questioning their dogmas too closely. And, of course, they saw people like John as supernatural monsters, who were sworn to make sure humans like Chase and Emily ended up there. John knelt in front of Chase and took his hand, gripping it hard. Chase, Eli didn't curse you, he said, his voice pitched low so the people in the sitting room wouldn't hear. None of this is your fault. I can explain what's going on, and I will, I promise— but we can't stay here. We need to get you and Emily someplace safe, and then we'll get this sorted out. All right? As he had hoped, mentioning Emily helped to focus Chase's attention. Oh, Eli, Chase whispered. Where is she? Is she all right? She's fine, John assured him. Kate's upstairs getting her right now. Chase's eyes flickered over to the stairs. There was another demon in here a minute ago. I... I thought I heard you talking to it. Not a demon, John assured him. Just Kate. She got hit with the same magic that changed you, which is why she looks like that. That's another reason we've got to get out of here. Not a lie, technically, though of course it was misleading. John could ease Chase into the full truth later, but right now he had to keep the kid from panicking the next time he saw Kate. Behind him, John heard several of the orgy's male participants moaning in climax. It wouldn't be long before they were up and moving. He rose to his feet again, tugging gently on Chase's hand. We're out of time, man. Are you coming with us, or what? Chase hesitated a moment longer, but then he stood and started gathering his clothes. He cast an anxious glance in Janet's direction. Did I hurt her? he asked. She got hurt by the magic that changed you, but we got to her in time, and Kate did some first aid. She'll sleep for a few hours, and then she'll be fine. Chase obviously had more questions, but he kept them to himself and finished dressing in silence. Kate and Emily came down the stairs and met them in the foyer. Emily was fully dressed. Kate had her boots on, but she was wearing her illusory uniform again which did absolutely nothing to disguise her wings, or her enlarged horns. Her skin and eyes were back to their human coloration, though, so she looked more like herself. She held her fancy new outfit in her arms, along with John's clothes, which she handed over to him. As he quickly pulled on his shirt, John noticed that Kate had tied her turtleneck around her waist, with the body of the garment draped in front of her like a loincloth. A distinct bulge could be seen beneath it. Nothing fits anymore, she said, sounding disgusted. Why didn't you warn me? I didn't know, John insisted. Emily went immediately to Chase, catching him in a tight hug. He started crying again. Shh, Emily soothed, running her hand through his hair. Keep it together, sweetie. I've got you. I don't understand what's happening. Chase sobbed. Me either, but we'll figure it out. A voice came from the sitting room, sounding dazed but content. Oh, gods, that was crazy, Ark. 
Another voice answered, Shit, you ain't kidding. Am I super stoned, or did you guys see a demon in here with us? Kate raised her dagger and gestured at the doorway to the sitting room, muttering a word under her breath. A shimmering wall of air took shape there, blocking the entrance and obscuring the view of the room beyond. The voices continued, but they became muffled and indistinct. Time's up, she said. John shoved his bare feet into his shoes without bothering to tie the laces, and they headed out the front door, Chase leaning on Emily for support. As far as John could tell, no one else had seen them leave. Another problem presented itself when they got to his skimmer. Kate went to climb into the small, snug cockpit, and quickly discovered that her wings were too big to fit inside. "'Are you sure you can't teach me how to shapeshift?' she asked. "'I'm sure I can't teach you here,' John said. "'I've got a truck,' Emily offered. "'It has a top so you could ride in the back.' "'Sold,' Kate said. "'Where are we going?' "'I think it has to be Sam and Lisa's,' John said, heavily. "'Hotels have security cameras. Anywhere else will raise too many questions.' "'What?' Kate's jaw fell open. "'John, I can't let my parents see me like this.' "'It's late,' John said, trying to sound reasonable. "'They'll be asleep. You've got the alarm code. We'll sneak in the back, take everyone to the guest room, and figure out our next move from there.' Kate covered her face with both hands, then reached up and grabbed two fistfuls of her hair. She let out a frustrated sound, like some kind of strangled animal. Fine. We'll see you there. Emily stood on tiptoes and kissed Chase's cheek. See you soon. Drive safe. Okay, Chase whispered. The two women started walking away, toward a truck on the opposite side of the driveway. Kate's wings caught a gust of wind, and she stumbled before Emily caught her. Her tail appeared out of the illusion field, whipping around instinctively to counterbalance her movements. Um, Chase said, and rubbed his hands together. He swayed a little where he stood. John, I... I'm really tired. I don't think I can drive. John was not surprised. When Kate had stolen a chunk of his essence, it had taken him a while to recover. Most of Chase's essence had been in the lust storm she had absorbed, outside his control but still a part of him. He had to be feeling the loss of it even if he didn't know what he was missing. Sure, hop in, he said. We can pick up your car later. Assuming this all blows over. Please, milady, let this blow over. And that's the end of Chapter 16. Come back next time, when our motley little group returns to Sam and Lisa's house, where they desperately try not to make things even worse. Archibald McLeish said, A real writer learns from earlier writers the way a boy learns from an apple orchard, by stealing what he has a taste for and can carry off. So grab your bushel basket and let's head out to the trees together. It's time for the weekly writing report. This update covers the week of July 18th to July 24th. I wrote 3,018 words this week, over the course of 3.25 hours, for an average writing speed of 929 words per hour. 
As of Friday night, I have gone 98 days without breaking my chain. This week I made a big push to get more recording and editing done for Homecoming. I completed the editing on chapter 16 and recorded chapters 17 and 18, which puts me seven chapters ahead of the chapter that was released at the beginning of this week. I'm now halfway through recording the book, which makes me hopeful that I can reach my goal of having it on sale in time for American Thanksgiving. I also did a little bit of work on Honor Bound. I finished chapter 16, started chapter 17, and I'm trying to get back into a rhythm of writing after my big recording and editing push. The manuscript is now over 39,000 words. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, send your feedback in text or audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension 255-082, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com slash author Chris Lester. The fan group is fans of Metamore City on Facebook, and our Discord server is Metamore City. I'm there pretty often, so come say hi. If you like this show, please consider leaving a review at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podchaser.com. It really helps people find the show. That's all for this week. I'll be back next time with more fresh new fiction. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2019 and 2020 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives License. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.